and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode. In just a moment, my conversation with Curtis Sliwa, the Republican nominee for mayor of New York City. Looking forward to this conversation with Curtis to get into a lot of what's going on with his campaign for mayor. We're talking here three weeks from election day, even less than that until early voting, and a lot to discuss with Curtis Lewa in just a moment. Before we get to the conversation with Curtis, if you've missed any recent episodes of Max Politics, please do find them wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. We have them there as well. I've had some really good recent conversations with a bunch of great guests, elected officials, advocates, experts, and others. Uh, I've had conversations over the last couple of months with some state leaders about the transition in state government from Governor Andrew Cuomo to Governor Kathy Hochul. That's included conversations with Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and others. At the city level, we've been talking to a series of city council members who are trying to be the next speaker of the city council, one of the most powerful positions in New York City, but only chosen by the members of the city council. That'll be a whole new wave of council members, of course, taking office in January, just like the next mayor of New York City and other office holders. Had some really good conversations with council members, Keith Powers, Justin Brannon, Carlina Rivera, and a whole bunch of others that I won't go into now, but check out the feed, Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. All right, Curtis Lewa, how are you? Oh, busy, 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 going on the clock. Uh... As you mentioned, with uh, just about three weeks to go, I'm good to go. All right. We're talking here after 9 p.m. on Tuesday, October 12th to tell everybody, appreciate you fitting me in uh, on a little bit of short notice. Give people a quick glimpse of what a day, you know, what today was like today and tonight, I guess. I'm sure you were doing things tonight. What's the campaign trail look like three weeks from Election Day for you? I started out uh, early. Uh, I had uh, visitors to the apartment I live in and share with my wife, Nancy, who, by the way, is running in the Upper West Side for the uh, vacated city council seat. I just uh, moderated a, a debate between her and Gail Brewer. Yeah, and she told that. me. Yes, so she, that'll be that'll be coming live soon. Yeah. Yeah, she told me the highlight of that was she had to break up uh, a cat fight. Uh, <laughs> yes. In the apartment between our 17 uh, rescue cats while uh, engaging in the debate with you. Yes. I'm sure that was like one of the most unusual debates uh, you've ever hosted. Yeah. We didn't, we couldn't see the cat fight on the screen. So we only got a word of mouth report on the cat fight and that got edited out of the, of the debate. So, but uh, the day started early. Uh, AP reporter and photographer were visiting the apartment, seeing what life like with the Sleewas is. It's a 328 square foot apartment on the Upper West Side studio apartment on the ground level. And uh, what it's like caring for 17 rescue cats. From there, I had to head up to uh, Harlem, meet with uh, multiple pa- pastors uh, who are going to have me as guests uh, in the upcoming weeks. And then over to Washingtonites, outside of uh, the old theater in which Reverend Ike used to broadcast from, right in the shadow of the George Washington Bridge. And we had our Democrats for Sliwa announcement and also the playing of the first TV ad that uh, debuted today, Democrats for Sliwa. From there, we toured uh, Washington Heights, then jumped on the train out to Astoria, totally different population, walked in uh, what I call AOC land, met with a number of small business people, and then the Hispanic Society of Correctional Officers dealing with uh, the crisis of Rikers Island and just uh, the general situation involving no bail situations, defund the police, defund prisons. So it's been uh, quite a night. And obviously uh, now talking to you uh, in your podcast. All right. Well, that's the day in the life of a candidate, uh, at least at least someone who's hustling. Um, and this is the day after Columbus Day, also known uh, to many now as Indigenous Peoples Day, which was a big day for you. This is sort of prime uh, Curtis Lewa out on the trail. There's some culture war stuff there. There's some bumbling Bill de Blasio territory for you to tread there, right? I mean, yesterday was a pretty big day for you on the on the campaign trail. Well, actually, the day before, it started in the Bronx. They had their mm-hmm. uh, Columbus Day Parade. 
uh, up in uh, the area uh, along White Plains Road and Morris Park. And the mayor got booed, even in the rain. I mean, they were relentless, but that was just the precursor to the restart of the annual Columbus Day Parade uh, on Fifth Avenue. And I mean, the crowd was all over de Blasio. I was having a great time reconnecting with a lot of people that I've uh, marched with in the past. Uh, Eric Adams was MIA. I don't know why. Uh, He was expected to be at the march. He basically had no comments. Uh, And it was the day that I announced that out of the 33 cities that had taken down uh, their Christopher Columbus statues, many of whom had put them in mothballs or in warehouses, that I felt the one place that was most in need of a uh, Christopher Columbus statue was Staten Island, the most Italian-American per capita of boroughs, uh, a place where uh, they still look uh, forward to celebrating uh, Columbus Day. And I started going through a laundry list of cities whose statues are no longer seen in public and suggested that when I'm mayor, uh, I would seek to get one of those statues and put it on Highland Boulevard in Newtorp Lane, Uh, So it could be on public view or out at Mount Laredo. I think most people don't know that there are existent Christopher Columbus statues in Astoria, Cadman Plaza in Brooklyn. Uh, There's a bust of Christopher Columbus on Belmont Arthur Avenue that the Albanians look after now in the Bronx. And of course, the big statue in uh, Columbus Circle. You do you do when you sort of approach these issues, do you. Um, approach it from something of a, a sort of radio host showman point of view where you're, you know, you're riling people up about something that they're riled up about and it gets into everybody's cultural heritage. And it's kind of a moment to, you know, really sort of, uh, you know, sort of tickle uh, people's uh, intensity, or is this something that you take, you know, very seriously? No, I take it seriously uh, on my mother's side. Uh, she was raised uh, from parents, my grandparents, who were from Andrea and Bari, so they're Bari's. She was the only one born here in America, and that's the family I was raised with, My the Polish side of my family. Uh, my dad's side is from uh, Chicago. Uh, but I understand there are some people who no longer want to uh, have a Columbus Day. That's fine. If uh, they want to honor the indigenous peoples or do both simultaneously, I'm all for that. Uh, I just think that in some places uh, it represents not, not not a tribute necessarily to Christopher Columbus, but rather to the accomplishments and the contributions of Italian-Americans to building up America. Uh, I see in my grandparents, especially my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, who could not read or write and was a ditch digger, uh, helped dig uh, the uh, uh, Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, now the Yuga Carey Tunnel when many Italian-Americans were perishing because of collapses uh, underneath the uh, East River when it was being uh, constructed, uh, I see them as being the equivalent of what Mexicans and Central Americans are now. Southern Italians did all the grunt work, got no respect, uh, were constantly stereotyped. uh, And this is happening now amongst Mexicans and Central Americans who themselves will do all the grunt work. Uh, and are now being elevated to the point where they're beginning to celebrate their own holidays right here in America, right here in the tri-state area, and right here in the city of New York. All right, so zoom out for me. Uh, how's the campaign going in your assessment three days from Election Day? I got to say, you've raised you know, a pretty good chunk of change, uh, well over $1.1 million as of the last um, filing and private donations from almost 9,000 contributors, uh, an average of just $113 a, a contribution. You've gotten another three point, almost $3 million in public matching funds. Um, so you've got some money to spend here. You're, you're up on TV. You've got other ads going on. Um, but, you know, there's this narrative, and certainly in writing we've done at Gotham Gazette, we've, we've put it this way too, but, you know, there's this narrative that, Eric Adams is pretty much all but certain to win this race. So how's it going? Where do things stand? Is the media treating you the right way? You're sort of a, a member of the media in, in a way. You're definitely a member of the media as a radio show host, but not you know the sort of journalistic press uh, covering politics. But how's the campaign going? What are people getting right and wrong here? Well, number one, you announced uh, exactly what my average uh, donation is. It's more like uh, the Bernie Sanders 
uh, of this election cycle. You look at uh, Eric Adams. My God, he's like swimming with developers, Fortune 500, uh, elite businessmen and women, uh, and the hedge fund monsters. Guy, guy went out and uh, raised $5 million, even though he capped out on matchable donations. So you say, wait a second, what are you raising all that money for? You can't use it in the election cycle. Here we go again, building up a slush fund, which just empowers him all the more, win, lose, or draw. And in terms of the mainstream media, from day one, they've said, oh, Curtis Lee has no chance to win. Wow, that's really great at promoting democracy. <laughs> I didn't know they're handicappers. Where's a poll? Ben Max, has there been one poll? There hasn't been a poll here. I was just, I just did a, a TV spot earlier um, with PIX11, and I said, we'd, I'd love to see a poll, but we don't have a poll, so it's hard to know exactly how this race is going. Even with a poll, you take those with a grain of salt, but it'd be nice to see a poll. Um, but yeah, no, we don't know here. We don't really know. The biggest thing people are going on, obviously, is the voter enrollment, uh, you know, imbalance. The fact that there's so many more Democrats than Republicans. There's even more blanks than Republicans in New York City at this point. All right, but but think of it, Ben. Uh, I am not uh, your Republican candidate. I mean, I had Fernando Mateo in the primary, uh, who I beat, uh, spend 10, excuse me, $2 million in the last 10 days. He got matchable uh, donations. I got bupkis because they didn't qualify. Uh, and all of his ads said, Curtis Lee was not a Republican. He's a never Trumper. And all of that was true. Mm-hmm. I still beat him by 70% to 30%. That meant a lot of Trumpers overlooked that and decided I should be the Republican candidate. I think based on what I've done in the city for 42 years, especially with a focus on public safety. But a lot of other people don't realize I'm the independent candidate. That's something that Michael Bloomberg spent millions and millions of dollars to get that party line. I just went out there and got the signatures to qualify. And Ben, which party do you think tried to to deny me and challenge my signatures for an independent party line? Which party? The independent party? No. The Republican party? My own Republican. Because the Republicans are constantly at conflict with one another. They don't like the fact that I come from an independent background. I was the New York State Reform Party chairman for three years. They don't like the fact that I'm an ever Trumper. They don't like the fact that I'm promoting universal basic income on a trial basis uh, after having massive uh, discussions with the Yang gang. They don't like another, a number of my initiatives that they find to be way too progressive, way too liberal. And I just uh, label them as being common sense and all, all the more ready to experiment because I don't think either party at times has come up with any answers. And how are we going to really know, Ben? until we actually experiment with some of these ideas and see where it leads us. Mm -hmm. What, what kind of ideas, a UBI, um, trial, what else, what, what do you put out there? That's sort of not a typical Republican stance that you want people to know about. Uh, NYCHA housing. Uh, I don't believe in this public partnership, uh, arrangement. Uh, remember they're selling air rights. (laughs) Yeah. Air rights. Yeah. They really have in mind keeping the residents in public housing, especially those valuable plots of land along the East River on both sides. Uh, If you look at where some of these uh, public housing complexes are, Queensbridge, uh, you look at Redfern, you look at Astoria over on the Queen side, you look over on the uh, east side from the lower, lower uh, portion of the East River all the way up to Harlem. Uh, there, there, there's no doubt in my mind that there's a plan eventually to try to dislodge residents and move them in a different direction. I don't know uh, what the overall plan is, but I know that in everything that they've attempted to do with NYCHA, it's failed. And these are by men who originally knew how to run public housing. Because remember, Cuomo had been secretary of HUD under the Clinton administration. De Blasio was his assistant. So they have no excuses. And many of the proposals that I have seen do not seem to incorporate in the residents themselves to make decisions, to be the tenant managers, uh, to get involved in sweat equity where they get trained vocationally in the housing complex themselves to be uh, available like a custodian in a private uh, building would be to fix, to be a carpenter, electrician, a plumber, 
Uh, so that it's constantly in-house as opposed to always outsourcing it and never seeming to be able to deliver on the promises that government made. Look, I saw the original public housing project. I was introduced to that by my father, Chester, who was a merchant seaman for 55 years and raised me on Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. And he said, kid, you see that public housing project that was set up by Fiorello LaGuardia and FDR, and that was uh, at about 1935. It's a low-rise public housing uh, complex that's in the uh, Lower East Side. And he talked to me about how important it was because it was a step up from the tenements. It was a step up from living in, a, in an area where there was squalid conditions. And I think uh, the Jack Kemp approach would have been much better. He originally was the secretary of HUD appointed by Ronald Reagan, uh, former uh, congressman of Erie County. And he came up with a great idea. Why not let residents have some equity with small amounts of money? They could buy the actual apartments like it would a condo uh, when most uh, I don't think most uh, residents in New York City understand that most residents in public housing pay rent. They don't live there sure. freely. And let them have a little ownership. Well, guess who opposed Jack Kemp? Was it the Democrats? No, it was the Republicans. Mm -hmm. This this was a great idea. And it's one that I'd like to carry into uh, New York City's responsibility to NYCHA. Is, Is tenant the opportunity for tenant ownership of NYCHA apartments? And tenant management, uh, on-site tenant management. Let the people who live in that particular public housing complex actually make the decisions. I get the impression that we don't trust people in public housing to be able to make good decisions to manage themselves. Oh, wow. NYCHA's done a wonderful job. Trump and Ben Carson wanted nothing to do with it. De Blasio wanted nothing to do with it. The people who live in public housing say, give us a chance to do something about it. Oh, we can't trust you. You're not educated enough. Remember, we brought in that guy from Minneapolis. I forget his name. Yeah, Greg Russ. Right. I guess he was such a Mashiach of public housing that we would allow him to fly to Minneapolis on Friday, come back on Monday. Like we couldn't find somebody in the city who knew more about public housing than him. How ridiculous. Let me ask you this. The the let's say $40 billion in physical needs that NYCHA, you know, has uh, to get things up to a state of good repair. How do you get to that number um, along with the possibility of, of letting some residents, you know, put equity in to, to buy a stake in their apartments? How, how do you get to that number? Well, Ben, 95% of the monies uh, to run the NYCHA housing complexes, which house about 400,000 people, there are about 30 uh, com- uh, 300 complexes uh, of all different sizes comes from the federal government. Mm-hmm. We're getting the money from the federal government. They don't seem to care about it. And New York City mismanages it. So I think you've got to sit down with the federal government and say, hey, look, let's come up with a much better way of getting more, uh, a better bang for the dollar that you, the taxpayers, meaning at the federal level, are investing in this in the uh, nation's largest public housing complex series of homes for tenants of public housing in the nation queensbridge alone you go to queensbridge which is right there in the shadow of the 59th street bridge it's two separate public housing units the largest public housing unit in america and you say now what is it these people are not capable of managing and running their own public housing project continue the federal support continue the city's support and let's have and trust in the residents of public housing which we don't have it's clear we don't have it mm-hmm. so um l- let me zoom back out to the campaign in terms of how it's going you're talking about you know being a potential crossover candidate it sounds like you might you know, you might have a lot of Republicans who might, you know, not even come out to vote for you the way you describe your relationship with them. I don't even, you know, I don't know how much that's going to hold you back given the numbers, but, you know, you need as many Republicans to come out as possible. You need uh, as many independents to swing your way as possible and actually come out to vote. And then you need a whole bunch of sort of conservative and moderate Democrats and maybe some, you know, as you said, you've been sort of courting the Yang gang. You maybe need some, a lot of Andrew Yang voters, but you need sort of this this mix of voters, how is it going sort of trying to attract this strange brew that you need? 
Well, let's, uh, Ben, let's bifurcate it. Uh, in re- reference to Republicans, it is the most difficult group to deal with because they don't trust the balloting system. Mm-hmm. They really say to me, they say, Curtis, I love you. I support you. I just don't trust uh, the way election uh, elections take place and the way ballots are counting. So I have to spend most of my time explaining to them, hey, do you like playing cards? Yes. Do you go to Atlantic City on the buses? Yes. Do you think you get cheated? Yes. Do you keep going back and playing cards? Yes. I say, so why don't you think about it in the same way you think about playing cards and understand that if you don't vote, I'm guaranteed to lose. Uh, I am not one who distrusts uh, the balloting system and the way ballots are counted. I said from day one uh, that uh, uh, President Donald Trump lost the election fair and square to President Joe Biden. Uh, So I differ with some Republicans on that. I have a much better relationship with independents than Eric Adams uh, does because uh, he's a party apparatchik. He drove Andrew Young, Andrew Yang, I'm sorry, Andrew Yang out of the Democratic Party. He cast dispersions against him, called him a snake oil salesman, a charlatan because of his support of UBI. When Andrew Yang teamed up with Kathleen Garcia, which is the whole goal of uh, of ranked choice voting, of which I supported and promoted the initiative and referendum when I was chairman of the New York State Reform Party on June 19th, he said that they were racist for doing that. Why are you qu- That's the purpose of ranked choice voting is to team up so you're not as adversarial against one another. But you see, if it doesn't go Eric Adams' way, uh, the knee-jerk reaction is always to call you a racist. So I think I have a better uh, sort of understanding of independence. And as you mentioned, there are moderate Democrats out there who are not necessarily happy in the direction of the city, and they see Eric Adams as potentially just more of a Cuomo de Blasio 2.0. And again, I can go into inner city areas. There is no Republican before, whether Bloomberg with his millions, Rudy Giuliani on the law and order platform, who has been able to campaign uh, in neighborhoods where the only Republican they ever saw was Abraham Lincoln on a $5 bill. My job is I got to get them to vote because they're not prime voters. They generally come out and only vote in presidential elections. Eric Adams' uh, job is to get Democrats to come out and vote who already think that he's the mayor because the media has bent over backwards to do a coronation of Eric Adams. I'm surprised that he hasn't heard from Pope Francis yet for beatification, you know, for sainthood. It's an outrage. This is a democracy. This is a, I I wish a multiple party system. I want more independent parties. That's why I support Andrew Yang's creation of the forward party. We need more dialogue, more debates, more parties, and more ideas. Uh, Coming out of the Democrat and uh, Republican parties of late, there have been a dearth of ideas, and they go out of their way to squash third parties, which I've always been a member of. And as you know, if not for the vengeance of Andrew Evilized Cuomo, who wanted to take out the Working Families Party, how dare they support Cynthia Nixon? He, too, thought he should have a coronation. He only empowered them because they did the right thing. They organized. They got the required new amount of votes as he raised the threshold. So now you only have the conservative party, working families party, gone, independence party, green party, libertarian party, reform party. We don't have online ballot status. That was what Cuomo did. And they let him get away with that in the state legislature. The um, yeah, no, that was that was obviously a political vendetta at play there. The um, let me ask you this: When you, I've been wanting to ask you this for a while. You must have been rooting for, let's say, Maya Wiley in the Democratic primary, right? I mean, Eric Adams is sort of a, a really tough draw for you in the in the general election. Wouldn't you have preferred to go? up against here someone you know much further left because you you can you know sort of talk to the the middle of the road and you are you know have been an independent uh, political figure and you are stressing public safety but Eric Adams comes out of this primary that's that's a tough draw for you no uh, there's no doubt uh, Eric Adams uh, poses many more problems politically for me in the general election than Maya Wiley would have. Mm-hmm. That would have been a natural matchup of people who probably only agreed on one thing, that Eric Adams should not always be talking about, hey, 
I'm going to strap on my nine. I wear bulletproof vests. I mean, this guy has an obsession with guns. That's about the only thing we would have agreed on is that Eric Adams, stop talking about carrying guns. Don't carry guns. Try to be a role model, especially to young men of color. You can't be a role model if all of a sudden you're always talking about bulletproof vests and carrying guns and how that if there's an intel threat against you, you're going to strap on your nine sends the absolute wrong message. That's the only thing that I and Maya Wiley would have ever agreed is that, hey, stop carrying guns, except the exception would be the police need to carry guns. The um, what you just mentioned there, do you consider yourself a role model to young people? You know, you've had uh, issues you've apologized for in the past. Um, you know, you've done a lot of interviews lately. I don't want people to be this obviously won't, you know, shouldn't be the only interview people listen to or the only, you know, people need to read up on you. I'm not going to go through some of the greatest hits that you've been covering with people like Errol Lewis. You know, that was a really good conversation on his podcast and you've had some profiles in, you know, different publications. So I don't want to go through all the same stuff, but, um, you know, you've had issues in the past, uh, fabricating some exploits back with the guardian angels. You've apologized for those, some, uh, you know, pretty insensitive comments that, you know, have gotten you in some hot water. You've also, you know, issued some apologies on, do you consider yourself a good role model for kids? I try, uh, but I believe in, uh, if you mess up, you fess up. And I certainly uh, had to do my fair share of making apologies. Don't know of Eric Adams, uh, who is very omnipotent, very pretentious. Uh, other than the one time he was sort of put into a corner many years ago, when he suggested uh, that my friend and a good supporter of, of, of I and the Guardian Angels, Herman Badillo, was wrong uh, to marry outside of his uh, Hispanic heritage. But he shouldn't have married a Jewish woman at that time, uh, Gail Badillo. Uh, he did eventually apologize for that, but didn't come as soon as it should have. He's just not a guy who apologizes, even when confronted with a mistake. The most recent time, although it was a feeble apology, and I'm sure this applies to some of your listeners. He was telling people, hey, go back to Iowa, go back to Ohio. You know, uh, New York City is for the people who made it the great city that it is, basically saying to white hipsters and millennials, get the hell out of here. Uh, and he did that uh, at the National Action Network of Al Sharpton. Uh, he did a feeble apology after that. But this guy, look, yeah. we all are. Hey, hold on, Curtis. You, you you, you move pretty quickly from saying you try and that you apologize for some of the things you've done to going after Eric Adams point point taken. But in terms of yourself as a role model, I mean, what, you know, how, how do you think about that? I mean, you obviously you have kids, you've had, you know, your own personal stories and, and issues with your personal life in the newspapers. Maybe some of that you've, you've enjoyed having, but you know, in other ways you've had some painful episodes in your personal life. How are you feeling about where you're at now? I mean, are you are you a different person than you were decades ago or even a few years ago? Of course, uh, you go through a, a maturing point. You go through a point where you recognize that some of the things you may have done and some of the things you said were immature. Uh, but I think in terms of role model effect, uh, I've proven to be a role model for especially a lot of young men and young women who have joined the ranks of the guardian angels, both here and in 13 countries and 130 cities, especially the philosophy that I've lived to the max. Get it, Ben Max. <laughs> I guess that didn't quite work out. I've heard, I've but, heard it before. Yeah. Right. But not to carry weapons. Mm -hmm. That is not the sign of machismo. I was shot, as you know, by the Gottis uh, to the Gambinos. They gave them the orders five times for hollow point bullets. I could have had a carry permit provided by the NYPD. I said, no, it's not a proper role model. You have to advocate that young men especially not carry weapons, that they don't shoot weapons. And obviously, they don't get shot like myself. The goal is not to get shot, not to have a weapon, and not to shoot people. And I think... You got to live the life in order to get across to a young man that and I don't think Eric Adams and a lot of other people live the life because it's a double standard. Do as I say, but not as I do. Listen, I'm not going to you know, I'm, I'm obviously I haven't so far in this discussion. I'm not going to throughout it, but, you know, I'm not going to make uh, give you the Eric Adams side of the story. But on this one, 
you know, you did say that with an exception, police carry guns. I mean, Eric Adams spent two decades in the PD, right? So, I mean, he, you know, this is it's a little bit of a different story than if you were, you know, up against a different Democratic nominee. You know, if Bill de Blasio was out there saying, I'm going to carry a gun around, that'd be a little different story than Eric Adams. Oh, no? Well, let me ask you a question. When's the last time that anybody assaulted a mayor, threw a pie at him, mm-hmm. anything that threatened their life? When, uh, we just we just went through this with the mayor and his issues with his, you know, abusing his police detail and, you know, qu- questions around threats to him. But let's let's yeah. let, let's, let's come on. Ben. All right. You talk a lot in your campaign about compassion, about compassionate solutions. I want to know a little bit more about what that means to you um, and, w- and, and what are some of the specifics that you can tell people about the compassionate solutions to the city's problems that you would put forward as mayor? What, what, what's under that category? Well, you know, the teachings and the belief of Mahatma Gandhi early on were that a society that does not treat its animals well will not treat its people well, and we see that. So I'm the first candidate to uh, advocate for no-kill shelters uh, for our uh, animal care and control shelters. Right now, if a animal that is surrendered, dog or cat, another animal is not uh, claimed, generally within 72 hours, they are destroyed. They are euthanized. That's not going to happen any longer. And I've been in these shelters. And many of them are just abysmal. So we're going to deal with that reality. Secondly, we look at the emotionally disturbed persons who I've worked with closely for 42 years. Many of them I've known personally and had conversations with and developed friendships with. And you you see that when the lockdown and pandemic came, there was an immediate moval attempt to free up as many beds as possible in the state hospitals, municipal hospitals, and the private psychiatric care hospitals. And I get it, we needed the beds. Uh, People were dying, they were being swallowed up in ICUs and put on ventilators and we didn't have enough beds. Mm -hmm. Once we began to stabilize, Ben, it was no attempt to get these people back in and give them the mental health care that they deserve, the medicine they needed to normalize them. And so they were left to roam the streets, the parks, the subways, a danger to themselves and everyone else. A compassionate society would not allow that. When the uh, lockdown and pandemic came, uh, people were complaining because they saw emotionally disturbed persons defecating and urinating in public. And I turned to them and the officials and said, well, what do you expect them to do? They closed all the laboratories. They padlocked all the public laboratories. These poor souls to eliminate, even billionaires have to eliminate. So the way you deal with the emotionally disturbed is you, you approach them. If necessary, you take them in for a psychiatric observation. If two psychiatrists are in agreement, Uh, They can be held for 90 days for further observation. If they haven't been normalized in that time after getting fresh clothes, you know, being able to uh, escape the streets or the subways, then there's the the role of possibly committing them to a state psychiatric facility. Uh, Very little, if any, of that is taking place. And naturally, there's the problem of the homeless. Uh, Bill de Blasio, our mayor, even acknowledged recently on the Brian Lair show that that was his biggest failure uh, having Stephen Banks uh, as the czar of homeless services, an abysmal failure, as we now learn that uh, a lot of the work was outsourced to nonprofits, which were just opportunities for families to enrich themselves. Uh, and there was no oversight at all. So w- what I would like to try, recognizing that this is an enormous uh, uh, problem, is to actually reestablish the Camp LaGuardia scenario that occurred in Orange County in the Depression by Fiorello LaGuardia and praised by FDR that he actually used it uh, to uh, to house his conservation corps, which then became a national role model uh, for uh, success. Unfortunately, uh, having these uh, single able-bodied men, many of them that had alcohol problems, uh, some had drug problems, but many emotional issues, that was not followed through on by administrations thereafter. But the idea was a great one. And this would be done on a volunteer basis uh, to single able-bodied men or single able-bodied women who would like to uh, sort of go on a retreat. Uh, It's almost like outward bound, give them an opportunity to escape all the temptations that exist in the city. That's one thing that I would implement. 
And then obviously shelters would not just be a place where you got to check in by 10 at night because that's the curfew and you get kicked out to the street at 730 with no programs on site for alcohol problems, drug problems and emotional issues. How do you get people into housing, though? I mean, you know what, what you got? let's say 60,000 people sleeping in city shelters, you become mayor on January 1st. How do you get those people into stable housing? Well, all you got to do, man, is look around in the city. Uh, They're still building uh, housing, uh, upscale housing that's never going to be used. There's too much of a supply and not enough of a demand. And there's millions of square feet of what were originally thought to be commercial space that are empty. Uh, You have uh, areas uh, that are zoned exclusively for manufacturing. There's very little of that done any longer. You can change the zoning uh, for that. And you can create the affordable housing. Look at the Hudson Yards. They're still building in the Hudson Yards because these were uh, business deals that were negotiated and the monies were appropriated through loans before the lockdown. Empty. What are we going to do? Turn them into mausoleums because we've run out of cemetery space or more, you know, like the old factories we turned into uh, uh, places where you you do storage uh, for those that have separation anxiety. There's plenty of potential space. We just got to repurpose it. And we don't need to develop new projects and sunny side yards and Sunset uh, Park in Brooklyn. How about just why? Where's there a demand? Well, I mean, you know, it, I guess I guess part of that would depend on your repurposing plan. I mean, you know, let's if that if that were to be uh, plausible and, and effective, then maybe you don't need to build a good bit more housing. But you probably do anyway. I mean, the city's going, you know, we're, we're already seeing a rebound from covid in terms of the real estate market and rental market and all of this that, you know, shows the city on the rebound again. And, and you know, in no way, shape or form. I, I know, Ben, but there, yeah. there is this this pension Oh, there's always got to be an increase in population. If you decrease in population, you're a failing city or a failing state. What? Whoever wrote that? I mean, <laughs> the quality of life is actually better when you have less people. One thing the lockdown uh, and the pandemic taught us is that people, many of them actually preferred working at home, spending more time with their families, having a better quality of life. Yet we we want to bring everyone back into the city, fill up those high rise buildings, be like sardines and tin cans for two hours, trans, uh, you know, transporting yourself one way and transporting yourself out. Give me an example. You go to the South Shore of Staten Island. I could more readily jump on the South Expressway, go over the Outer Bridge Crossing, take the New Jersey Turnpike to the Garden State Parkway to the Atlantic City Expressway and be shooting craps in a casino in Atlantic City before I could actually take a different route to get to Midtown Manhattan. Why are we pushing this when so many people are able to work at home, want to work at home? Why do we feel that we have to go we have to go back to what used to be, especially now with all the e-commerce? It's going to be very difficult to open up all the mom and pop shops that used to exist. Interesting, interesting uh, theory about the and, and beliefs about the future of the city and 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 the and the possible uh, preferences of the of the next mayor uh, if you're elected. Um, let me ask you uh, the the focus on animals. I'm an animal lover. I think there's a lot of people. You know, most people I think are animal lovers. Uh, some people prefer dogs. Some people prefer cats. You're obviously a cat person. But uh, it, it seems to me, even as an animal lover, like almost a disproportionate focus on animals as you're running to be mayor of New York City, home to eight plus million human beings. It, what am I missing? Why is this such a focus for you? Well, because, uh, look, you want to argue with anyone, he's no longer alive. But Mahatma Gandhi said it all. It's something that I believed in for quite some time. Uh, uh, before I met my wife, uh, Nancy, I was not as engrossed in this whole concept, uh, but she taught me more and more about managing uh, feral colonies of cats that can keep the rat, the rodent, and mice population down naturally, and most importantly, rescuing animals uh, that are under the threat of being destroyed by a shelter system that could find other ways of finding them a home of their own. And I saw the correlation. Look how, Ben, look how we treat emotionally disturbed persons 
We had thrived. Five years, one and a quarter billion dollars. The mayor put together this program, had his wife through nepotism run it. What have they ever done? They won't even be accountable for the money spent. And because it's a one party town, there's no balance. So that even the people could have investigated it, Scott Stringer never used subpoena power. City Council never used subpoena power. Tish James never used subpoena power. It was probably the most egregious misuse of funding for a desperately in need population. Ben, can you point to me one success story from Thrive that we've ever learned about over five years? Well, I mean, listen, I, you know, I think there's some nonprofit organizations that have said, you know, they've appreciated the funding to do, you know, mental health trainings and such. But I'm not at all going to argue with you that it's been a well-run program. I, we were one of the first at Gotham Gazette to do a story about how they weren't measuring you know, the results. And we didn't even know what we were getting for all this money and all this, you know, attention that they put on this big program. So I'm not, I'm certainly not going to defend Thrive. I'll give you an example, Ben. Uh, uh, About two weeks ago, uh, Eric Adams was on with Coffee Joe on MSNBC in the morning with Reverend Al Sharpton. Mm -hmm. We're talking about homelessness and emotionally disturbed. And then out of nowhere, voluntarily, Eric Adams said, you know, what I really think was a mistake, Joe, is that when they closed Willowbrook out on Staten Island uh, almost a lifetime ago, and my head spun around like Linda Blair in The Exorcist, I said, look, Eric is not a hipster or millennial. He grew up at the time of Willowbrook. He's in his 60s. I'm 67. Not only was that inhumane, they were testing on these, these young children and these young adults who had intellectual disabilities they were injecting them with hepatitis for 12 years. That's like Dr. Mengele. And he's saying, oh, it was just a few bad apples. A few bad apples. It was run by the state of New York. Robert Kennedy, when he was U.S. Senator, Senator said it was abominable. It should be closed. And the state kept it open. Mm-hmm. Before you, more you, people you, suffered there. But you, you also want to keep inc- that open. Right. But I mean, perhaps. But you want to um, you want to increase institutionalization, right? You want to go not necessarily to the degree it was when the deinstitutionalization movement really took hold, but you want to go back towards that. I mean, that's a key tenant of your of your platform, right? Is that more people do need to be in institutional settings, no? Well, especially if they don't have a family or if families are incapable of caring for them, and especially if it requires them being medicated by someone because they either are unwilling to get medicated or they won't continue on with their medication. But I got to tell you, Ben, out of all the examples to use Willowbrook, right. even his hardcore supporters, Eric Adams supporters say, guy, that is that is a horrible idea. He never walked it back. Mm-hmm. Why? He could have walked it back. We all make mistakes. I've made mistakes right. on the campaign trail, but he wouldn't walk it back. Right. Speaking of, of treatment of people going through psychiatric issues, emotionally disturbed people, you had this individual who um, interrupted a press conference and you comforted him. And then that scene is now in an advertisement of yours. Was that was that sequence staged in any way? No, it wasn't staged. And you can see there's a history of me coming to the aid of emotionally disturbed persons or those uh, who are drugged out or in need of medication to stabilize them. It's what I've done for 42 years uh, sure. I, you, you clearly have a lot of experience working with everybody, every type of person you encounter in, on the streets of, of the city. Yeah, but I, I think, Ben, with the emotionally disturbed, it can be very frightening. That's why I am a believer that when the EDP's call uh, calls come in, 911 calls, uh, and you can hear them on police scanners, there's so many of them, that in each precinct, there should be a team of mental health experts who can assist police, who can go out on the calls with them. They take the lead. They do the main intervention. The police stay back. The police only get involved if things get out of hand, which sometimes so when someone's having a psychotic disorder, that can happen. Now, you, sound, you and Eric Adams sound alike on this issue and, and among among several. Mm-hmm. Now, but you remember it was Bill de Blasio who wanted to do that two years ago and not have the police respond and you Mm -hmm. never did it. So on that, I would agree. I think that's common sense. It's the same way when somebody reports to be sick, physically sick, 
uh, you'll see an FDNYEMT unit uh, go out on the call. And sometimes even a fire truck uh, from a nearby fire station. The more people, the better in dealing with people with these issues, because it, it, it helps to rapidly deal with a problem that can only get worse. Living in a street, in a subway, in a park, uh, it's, it, it'd be hard enough if you had control of your mental or physical faculties. But having problems, it just exacerbates uh, the situation. We're in our last few minutes here with Curtis Lewa, mayoral candidate, of course, uh, the Republican nominee, having won that primary fairly easily. Um, let me ask you, did, that gentleman, did you help him get some help? Do you know what happened to him after that encounter you had with him that you know is now in, in your advertisements that are up on TV? Yeah, over six years, uh, we as the Guardian Angels have helped him from time to time. Unfortunately, he has been cut loose. He actually told his story uh, that he has been hospitalized in Bellevue on a number of occasions. Uh, He had indicated what prescriptions uh, he should be taking and he didn't have access to them. Mm -hmm. We've helped to the best of our ability, but we don't have the ability that, let's say, the police would. Uh, or uh, mental health care experts uh, 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 associated with the Department of Health sure. could then get a psych evaluation of him at a hospital. And then if two psychiatrists agree that he should be temporarily committed for 90 days until they make a, a broader uh, report on his condition. Yeah, we've been down the road with him and some mm-hmm. others uh, at the height of the pandemic. At the height of the lockdown, we were actually escorting some of the emotionally disturbed living in Penn Station all the way over to Bellevue, uh, the psychiatric hospital, primarily to use the bathroom, then to get their medication refilled up if they were uh, without or for a psych evaluation. So um, last couple of questions, and I'll let you go. Appreciate the time, of course, especially at the end of a long day at, during another long week, uh, long months here, long campaign. Um, we've gone through some of the things you're running on. Uh, we're not doing a lot of policy talk here. We're talking more, you know, views of the city, your background, how you think about things, the politics of it all. Obviously, people can look at your website. I've, I've been reviewing a lot of your policy proposals uh, throughout and then in, in preparation for this conversation. So there's a lot we're not getting to. Obviously, everybody listening knows that there's only so much we can get to here, but you know, you have plenty of planks to your, your policy platform um, and, and people can check that out. Let me ask you this. You have two TV debates coming up uh, October 20th and 26th. One of those right before early voting starts, one of those right in the middle of early voting. How important are those debates to your chances here? How are you thinking about those? What are you going to be like on the debate stage in the, you know, your first, uh, your first run for mayor here, the general election, big stage? Um, how are you thinking about those debates and what can we expect to see from you there? Well, they're extraordinarily important because uh, I've not had uh, the same access to media, the same access that Eric Adams had in a long and heated Democratic primary campaign involving ranked choice voting. Unfortunately, I uh, was not able to be involved in ranked choice voting because my opponent, Fernando Mateo, uh, knocked off uh, the other candidate who would have put us at least in position of having uh, three candidates. Uh, So I intend on taking it to Eric Adams because I believe he's been insulated uh, by the media from questions that need to be asked. A, don't you find it odd, Ben, that after all this time, we still don't know where the guy lives? Uh, Well. Let me just say this. That's a, that's a bit odd after we, all this time. We know about his residency questions because of the media. So I don't know if you can criticize the media and then say it's, you know, we got to find out more about the residency stuff. That wouldn't even be talked about if it wasn't for the media. No, no, no. Pol- uh, political first <laughs> yes. uh, broke the story. Yes. Andrew Yang made it a key uh, piece. But let's face it. Uh, Eric Adams has vacillated on this. He, he vacillated on where he went on a vacation. Had to be dragged out of him. He went to Monaco. Who goes to Monaco? <laughs> but the, you're gonna, what, you're criticizing the, the guy for where he goes on vacation? Well, wait a second. He's been <laughs> hanging out at Zero Bond, the club, uh-huh. with hanging with the TikTok girls, keeping up with the Kardashians. Uh-huh. You're not at all concerned, Ben, that all of a sudden this guy is, is with the heavy hitters, the whales. He's getting wine-dined in pocket line and bought. Let's face hey, it. Hey, listen, Eric Adams... Out. 
Eric Adams is a complicated guy. He's he's running a very interesting campaign where he's clearly cozied up to many elites. And then he's also clearly speaking to a lot of working class New Yorkers. You know, he had all those labor and union endorsements in the primary. You know, this is a guy who I mean, he's you know, he's he's running a you know, he's casting a wide net, just like you're trying to cast a wide net. So I don't know. You know, there's there's still stuff about his residency, his taxes. There's certainly there's questions he still needs. Oh, to and, and the other one that I'm going to pose to him because I ain't give you a straight answer is uh, early on uh, he was constantly with the Nation of Islam promoting their security patrols, claiming that's the only uh, uh, sort of involvement he had with them. He 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 was an admirer of their security patrols. Hey, Eric, you know, the Nazis had good security patrols also, and they hated everybody like the Nation of Islam. Why would you have anything to do with a group led by Farrakhan that hates Jews, hates whites, hates transgenders, hates gays, hates lesbians, and used as you're an excuse? Well, they ran good safety patrols. Come on. And the media lets them get away with that? Uh, this You're taking us back here to the to the 90s? Well, haven't you taken me back to the formation of? No, the no, I'm just making sure that that's what you're. 1980, that's, Ben. That's what you're talking about. No, that's what you're saying. You're going to bring up at the debate. I'm just making oh, sure that that's what. Up. So, all right, so you about so, Farrakhan. So these why are a few it, why things. Is, why is it the media about. gives him a pass? Mm-hmm. Well, I, listen, I, uh, we at Gotham Gazette, other publications have written profiles on him that mention. You know, he's had a very long and uh, complicated uh, public life like yourself. There's been some ups and downs, some, you know, question marks. Um, And there's been a lot of profiles on him that have mentioned these things, issues, issues throughout the year. So there's a few things you're going to bring up at the debates. If at the debates, other than these things about his character, his residency, et cetera, is there one difference between you and Eric Adams that you want to make sure voters are going to come away with from those debates? Is there one thing about being mayor that you're going to try to show a differentiation on? Well, of course, because remember, Eric Adams was embraced by Cuomo and Eric Adams uh, embraced Cuomo. Mm -hmm. Likewise with de Blasio. So why would people think they're going to get any different kind of leadership when it's, 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 Cuomo and de Blasio 2.0 with slight distinctions. But look at what look at what Eric Adams has already said. I want to keep Stephen Banks on as the leader of my uh, homeless uh, scenario of trying to get homeless people uh, into affordable housing. You're going to lose you're going to use the failed leader of the homeless uh, cycle of homelessness that even de Blasio admitted was his worst blunder. Uh, there are many things that he says that it's just a continuation of the status quo. Okay. I'm just going to say to people out there, based on my 42-year track record, who will you feel safer with? Who will make you safer in New York City? Eric Adams or Curtis Lewa? And then let the voters decide. All right. There's a preview of the argument we're going to see in these two TV debates coming up. A few things you plan to raise about Eric Adams and a, and the distinction you're trying to make. All right. Um, we're going to leave it there. Curtis Lewa, I appreciate the time and we'll check in with you before election day. I do appreciate that. Thanks for the time, Ben. All right. Thank you. Take care.